Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Eric Fanholm here. He works as a keynote speaker, as a board advisor and leadership developer. And more and more people define him as a true change maker and a thought leader. So Eric, big welcome. Thank you. So let's kick off with a big question. <laughs> what are your dreams? What I long for and kind of what I aspire to and work for is uh, being part of um, companies, initiatives, or just part of some type of uh, movement toward a society and a kind of um, approach to life where we see ourselves as kind of part of society instead of... Uh, isolated from each other, from the environment, for example, or, or seeing our companies as separate entities from the rest, where we actually just uh, accept that we are interconnected and that stuff are dependent on each other. So, so just a, a dream of a more connected world, not only the physical world or the internet, but actually the way that we approach happiness and uh, life and business. And... Um... So far in your life, how do you define, you know, the turning points uh, when you kind of connect the dots later mm -hmm. on and that have really influenced you uh, the most? Why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good question. So I think that the answer to that question has been different and changing all through my life. But the answer that I have right now is um, my father was a professional athlete. He was competing in the um, world championship. He was a discus thrower, uh, Stefan Fanholm. Mm. And um, he was competing in the Olympics and, and so on. So he was a, as a discus thrower, he was a really big guy, a handsome, a lot of muscles, the kind of alpha man that you <laughs> see in movies. And no other kids there to ask me whose father is stronger, you or mine. Uh, <laughs> but the yeah. thing was that um, he was a professional athlete during the 80s. And being successful also meant uh, working really hard. But other than working hard, it also meant um, using um, steroids, of course. And uh, that was what everybody did. That was at least what he told me. And, um, and that approach to happiness, to success that he had, becoming the number one, bigger, faster, stronger, climbing the pyramid, I saw really early on when I was... I mean, five, six, seven, that um, he was not happy. He was uh, well-known. He was well-respected. He was successful. He was on TV, but he was not happy. And he had massive problems with uh, pain and with pills and, of course, steroids. So he passed away when he was 37 years old because of um, addiction to pills and because of that lifestyle of constantly struggling to the next step and um, from what I understood also it became worse when he became a father because then he had the responsibility and people who are dependent on him to become successful so and you were what age then I was 12 when he passed away it sounds dramatic that he passed away when he was 37 but the the tough part for me was uh, mm. before that it was when when we were living together my parents divorced a couple of years before 
And that was just seeing my hero fighting so much with himself. So a uh, turning point for me was definitely uh, reflecting on and kind of redefining success and happiness when I was really, really, really young. Mm. And to have those questions of kind of meaning and what if that is not happiness, if success and, uh, and being popular isn't happiness, what is? What are we really here for? So that kind of question of why do we do what we do, not not how can we become better at reaching our goals. I think that kind of instrumental approach is very, very shallow and hollow to leadership or to success or to companies. But why do we do what we do? What are the real kind of values that we are looking for? And um, how do we do that in a sustainable way that we can actually get the value that we are searching for together with other people that get what they are searching for? So I started thinking about happiness and, and um, those questions early on. And um, that was a real turning point for me. Then also discovering research was the next. When I started finding through cognitive neuroscience and happiness study and motivational research, seeing that there is actually better paths towards a uh, fulfilling life that isn't only about myself. It's actually realizing that it's not about yourself for the most of it. So research and also uh, kind of childhood. When we talk about companies and businesses that you are also via your work trying to influence in a good way, what do you think is really the kind of long-term solution for business that you truly believe in? And what, what do you say to them? What is the formula? Yeah, so of course, first of all, it's, it's about meeting them where they are and what kind of worries them, what pains they have, what, they, what do they um, think about, what are the problems that they're fighting with. And just letting... I guess it's it's more about kind of clearing uh, the map and to just realizing that, okay, you can't survive today as a company in a complex and increasingly complex environment without people's engagement, without new ideas, without learning, without people being motivated to actually push through the tough parts, ask the tough questions and innovate. And to understand that that is an emotional process, that creating results in the 21st century is an emotional process where engagement is core. And just to understand that when, when people have ideas, it's when they feel engaged. It's when they feel happy. It's in the shower. It's in bed. It's uh, on your commute to work, from work. It's not in a business meeting with nice post-its. It's not what research shows. I mean, creativity, the highest correlation with creativity and innovation is positive effect. It's being engaged with what you do. So then the question is, to survive in the kind of 21st century as a company is how can we engage people? And that's what the board usually asks. Like, Eric, can you help us raise the engagement? And usually my reply is that's the wrong question. You guys should be asking how can we be worth engagement instead of how can we engage people? And that points the kind of compass inwards and it points to the actually um, like the cause and existence of why is this company here? What are we trying to do? Are we even worth engagement or not? Like, are we trying to do something that is worth doing or are we only here for money? And um, if we're looking at the kind of values shift that has happened in society where we see that the millennials are much more purpose-driven than people born in the 60s, you see that the companies who learn to engage and to be worth engagement by looking at their strategy and how they structure things and their culture, individual growth, they attract skills they attract the talents who have the most experience of the digital age and the digital tools, but they're 23 years old and they can create exponential growth for your company. So understanding that the world is shifting quite quickly 
engagement is key. And to manage complexity, you have to be able to attract talent, but also keep engagement high. That's kind of what we talk about. And also, um, of course, only through um, what science shows. What kind of advice would you give to people who are 40, 50, 60 and still working and are supposed to work very long? What should they do or think if you have any kind of uh, you know reflection or advice to them? Yes, I think... Um, First of all, it's about understanding what is shifting in society and what is not shifting. Like over, I think, 85%, around 80-85% of jobs in Sweden are um, transferred or like you get new jobs through contacts. It's not through applying through a normal process. It's through knowing people. It's through being cooperative. It's through being a nice person and creating value for people that you cooperate with or the customer. So that's a major shift. Before, it wasn't like that. Like We're living in this connected society where the value of information is decreasing because it's so available for everybody. So that you know a lot of stuff within your gibbet. Like you know a lot of within your, like your skill set is based on information. That doesn't matter as much anymore. It's what you can do with information that is important. It's how you can cooperate with other people. It's also how you make them feel and the results that you can get together. So the relational skills that people who are in their 40s or 50s have acquired are of more importance now than ever. That wisdom, that that, that skill set, what I, I would say is more important now, but to fixate your identity and your career on the knowledge that you have is dangerous because it's commodity. Like people can just find it out quite quickly, faster than you learned it. They can learn it today. So it's more about a relational process and skill set to focus on that. And then secondly, I think being open and to learn new things is um, the skill set for the future. To be curious, to take other perspectives, to be able to learn and relearn instead of know. So um, be curious, I'd say. (laughs) Be social and curious, maybe. Good advice. If we uh, dream a little bit and assume that, you know, all doors are open, we have all the resources, all the possibilities uh, available, what would you then innovate or change? Mm -hmm. I think that at the center of today's issues, the problems that we stand uh, in front of, if that's environmental issues, if it's social issues, political, if it's a lack of purpose and meaning in life, I think what we find at its core is individuals and individuals just acting and navigating through their everyday life individually, collectively. That is what creates society. It's the way that we look at the world that creates the world eventually through our actions. So if I could change anything, if I would love to innovate anything, it would be to to be able to shift the way that we see the world so that we in turn can change the world. And that would be a digitalization of the tools that actually enhance personal growth. So like, how could we take the best from all the courses, from all the research and enhance that with design and technology so that they become available for everyone? Just like Wikipedia did for information, how can you do that for the skill set for 21st century of perspective taking, curiosity, empathy, relational skills, the skills that we just mentioned? How could we scale that and create a school for the 21st century of more of um, the skill set for wisdom instead of the skill set for intelligence. That would be awesome. That's actually what we're working on um, with the two foundations I work with. Which two foundations are those? It's uh, Equat Foundation, 
the Oak Island Foundation and the Norrsken Foundation, Niklas Adalbert Foundation, uh, where uh, we're starting an initiative called 29K. Um, you live 29,000 days in a lifetime. That's about what you have, 29,000 days. How do you make them count? And it's going to be a platform for democratizing personal growth. These skill sets with researchers from Harvard and Karolinska Institute that um, can co-create a nonprofit platform to um, help people grow on scale. That's, that's what we're trying to build. Fantastic. I look forward to that, really. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of people... Um, also out in the world trying to do, you know, one part of that puzzle. And I came to think about the previous HCL Technologies CEO mm -hmm. that uh, now resigned from there a couple of years ago. And now he sees it as a his personal mission and a project to um, transform the education system in yeah. India. You know, mm -hmm. have you heard of him, mm -hmm. Vinet Nayar? Mm -hmm. So he's also trying to do what he can yeah. at his end to change the educational system and with a vision of having, you know, each kid going to school with a smile on their face, yeah, which yeah. is a good dream and good vision, really. Exactly. I mean, the industrial society functioned on teaching people during a couple of years how to be a good soldier or a good industrial worker. And you did that in the beginning of your life and then you worked for 40 or 50 years. Today, society is changing so much that we will never stop educating ourselves. It'll be a continual process, right? Yeah. So that's a big system shift so we're, we're hopefully standing in front of. But if you could give um, one piece of advice to leaders, what would it be? I think it would be... It would be explore when you are truly engaged and feel purpose. And understand that what you'll find is probably not about you it's about you being yourself but giving to others and once you understand that i think that you'll probably start questioning why your company is only chasing money and instead see how can we create a company that doesn't strive to be only the best in the world but also the best for the world if we just leave the idea that um, people are individualistic self-serving agents on a free market instead see ourselves as part we're individuals but part of a larger whole where we want to grow be ourselves and contribute something larger that kind of shifts the uh, fundamentals of uh, how we build companies and basically uh, what we strive for in a happy life if you were to, to give advice to yourself 15 years ago <laughs> what would that be or whatever would be relevant uh, for you or 10 years yeah, ago yeah, yeah. I think my advice would be, if you try to be Superman, you'll end up lonely. What do you consider so far in life is your you know, main strength? It's always difficult to talk about oneself, but still, I mean, it's kind of a... Yeah. I think something that, that I've kind of learned to respect about myself is the uh, ability to communicate ideas that kind of envision something that, that could be something better. That's a lot of what I work with. And to, um, I guess, to question the status quo and see like how could we create something um, a little bit better or at least less bad. That would be uh, one strength. So maybe uh, in short, um, enabling hope. That's a great strength to have. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a weakness also. <laughs> In what way? 
No, it, it's um, like if you enable hope and if you create a great vision, but you don't follow up. Mm. You don't, uh, like if you just start, it could be um, just fireworks. And um, for me to be part of stuff that only is inspiration is, uh, is for me kind of uh, a waste. Like I would, I would want to uh, be in a surrounding and be part of a team where I could enable hope and where that vision or inspiration enables real change. So I've grown to learn and respect structure a lot the, the last uh, years and to not have new ideas, but to, to follow up and follow through with what you have instead of leaping on to the next one. But when you uh, have, for example, a lecture and you feel that you're managing to inspire so many people at once, do you ever think, you know, where, how do they channel this energy and what do they do with it? Mm -hmm. What impact did I really have? Yeah. How do you follow up on that uh, or how do you, what do you know that they are doing? Yeah, so, so the aim of my, um, when I'm engaged with um, the Swedish military or H&M, mm. like, it doesn't really matter who it is, the, the aim for me isn't really, like it's never really been for them to make a specific change. I don't want them to go into like, okay, this is a three-step process. This is how you implement lean or agile or a new way of working. I think my main goal is to um, to clarify why. Why do they do what they do? And what do they really value? Is it serving them? And is it serving the people who they want to serve? And I think my, my kind of um, belief is that if you can strengthen and clarify why you do what you do and what you really value, truly long for and want to be part of, then I think that people will solve how they'll do it. I mean, if you can light type of inspiration, then they're so much better at understanding how they create change because they're usually experts within their field. But what could be missing is a belief that it could be different, that they can actually change society, that they, they, can, that they have the skill set to do that. And if they believe that they can change the world, they would probably start experimenting and learning and uh, they will find uh, how. The same for, for society as a whole. I believe that if people just see themselves as agents, potential agents of change, and see that society isn't fixed, but it can be shifted and it is continuously shifted by what we do and what we believe, then I see that we could address the issues that we are struggling with today. So I think that the problem of environmental global warming, for example, isn't the problem of CO2 emissions. It's a problem of psychology. It's a problem of us seeing ourselves as separate from environment and that we can't change enough to have an impact. Uh, that's the real problem in my world. What do you think is the most important thing for companies to focus on right now? Adapting to change is of course one of the major issues that I see with the companies that I uh, work with. And um, exploring what is a modern story of a company that is worth engagement. How does that look? And the answer is probably not just one. The answer is probably as the same with individuals. Like how can I as an individual navigate a society that is very complex? It's not by being you. It's not by looking at Richard Branson and saying, how can I be like him? And using his recipes, his hows, his strategies, and implementing, that's faking it. It's being dishonest. Instead, figuring out what we would be proud of 
to create? What would our imprints, what would our footprints be that we would be proud of? And finding the kind of direction from a values-based approach, not as in uh, we put these values in our on our wall. Enron also had values on their wall. One of them, I think, was integrity. That's not the way to do it, but to see like how do we actually structure a company? What do we focus on? What do we build? Who are we helping? What do we believe in? And to be ambitious. I mean, after that, that kind of compass is set, then, then it's a matter of being efficient and learning how to create value. Failing quick and cheaply and learning from every kind of cycle. I, can, I think a lot of companies could learn a lot from the startup world where a, a, from idea to finished product is five days, where you've tested the product on users, five days. But what is actually a company? What did it used to be and what is it today? And what is it going to be like in only four five years from now? I'm thinking about this, you know, the structure we have now, how they typically look like. Is it more going to this kind of a community, you know, mm-hmm. based structure, something that is existing for a while and then it's dissolving for a good reason mm-hmm. and then it's growing into something else? So what do you see in front of you? Yeah, so I mean, I think the most fundamental shift is that we're moving from a economy based on goods to economy based on digital goods, information, services. And to understand what it, what does that mean? Well, basically the most important thing is from from my point of view is is speed the speed in which the need of the client needs to be served and also the speed in which it changes so how could how could it be possible that a large hierarchical system could adapt to creating products and meeting needs that constantly shift it's an oxymoron it doesn't really work that way you can't make a 10-year plan for something that could change tomorrow so Big companies will either die or adapt, and people who can manage complexity and flexibility and not kind of go under (laughs) and be kind of paralyzed by analysis, uh, those are, of course, I mean, that's the only way to to navigate the future. If we just have the presumption that that the digital age uh, will continue and accelerate. I mean, today is the last day development and change moves this slow. It will never be this slow again. And I mean, if we just let that idea kind of detonate into our world, the friction that we see from being rigid already is going to be amplified. And those who flourish in a very much like in in the kind of age of disruption in which we live uh, are those who... who, uh, who act from their kind of, from my perspective, at least their core values and uh, and get their sense of security from that and then focusing on how can they contribute to something larger as a company or, a, or an individual, it's the same. In a way, it's very inspiring to also think about this. And I can understand also some people being totally scared yeah. when they hear such a thing. How can things go faster? How much faster can we go? What mm-hmm. are we losing out on if mm-hmm. we go faster? You know, all these kind of uh, yeah. thoughts arise, of exactly. course. What's a good advice for those who are going into this kind of, you know, scary thinking? Yeah, I mean, um, this is what we see all over the world. We're seeing it, a counter-reaction to complexity. We see that we're voting for, for people who have a simplistic worldview. We see um, people feeling uncertain more than ever. 
We live in the most peaceful times, but people think that violence is increasing. So it's a very paradoxical time where we have a sitcom celebrities leading the world's largest country or the world's most powerful uh, military country. And everything feels kind of upside down. But I think that, I mean, if you're walking and running, like you'll, you'll end up, like if, if we use a metaphor, if you're walking and running, you'll, you'll eventually hit your kind of speed limit. You can't go faster than a couple of kilometers an hour. And that'll be really, really tough to stay at that pace until you stop running and you get on a bike. Then it's easy to run at, or to bike at the same pace. And this is, I think, what we have to start realizing, that we can't continue with the same methods that addressed earlier problems, but we have to pause, we have to reflect, and we have to see, okay, what, what would a new way of managing complexity be? Yeah. It's not hierarchical, it's about probably cooperation with other people who are, are really good at what they do also. And um, I, I have no idea what that economy would look like, probably more networked, values-driven, adaptable, but I think at its core, what it has to be, if it's going to function, is it has to be driven by people who are very open, curious, want to learn new things, able to take other people's perspective, and that they are uh, empathic. Like if, if you take away any of those, they won't be able to navigate a complex system. And what do you think the world needs most at this time? I see it a little bit like the internet is uh, in a very premature phase, just like a child can be, where it's just reactive. There's no sense of uh, where will we be in 50 years. Everything is like, okay, there's, there's a, like five people died in a bombing in um, Berlin. It's terrible. But 50,000 people died in traffic accidents. Why are we obsessed with that certain kind of impulsive reactions. So like what I kind of observe is, is that we're very, very short-sighted right now and just constantly reacting to everything we see around us. And it's tiring and people are getting really, really sick of it. So I think to uh, lengthen the, the perspective and to start thinking and time horizons of not four-year cycles, but of maybe 50 or 100-year cycles, Like if we just accept that society is moving in certain directions, technology is moving in certain directions, how can we start co-creating a society that we could actually believe in together? Not where one religion or one perspective has to win over the other. That's the old, old paradigm of kind of uh, kingdoms trying to kill each other. Uh, if we instead accept that people are different, that cultures are different, that companies are different, how could we? How could we possibly? create a, a society that could be a little bit more conscious of the consequences of our actions on an individual or social or, or um, global level. Thank you very much, Eric. It has been really interesting, really valuable to talk to you. And um, thanks for sharing everything you shared. Thank you. To find out more about Eric and his work, you can head to ericfarenholm.com, E R I-K-F-E-R-N-H-O-L-M.com and find more information. Thank you very much for listening and until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. (laughs) 